Blog Talk Radio. WIJSF.com. Women in Jazz South Florida Inc. is a nonprofit educational organization that promotes women musicians globally through events, concerts, performances, clinics, lectures, workshops, articles, interviews, newsletters, courses, contacts, research, history, archives, websites, film, audio and video recordings, and recognition. Visit us at WIJSF.com. You're listening to blogtalkradio.com slash musicwoman with your host, Diva JC.
Well, good evening. This is Dr. Diva JC on Music Woman Radio. And it is exquisite in Florida right now. The weather is just around 75 degrees. Humidity is about 60, 65. And it's a dream. It's a dream world in Florida. And that's why we have women in jazz, South Florida. Today, my guest is an extraordinary string player whom I wish I had met last year because this year's issue of Music Woman Magazine features women who pluck strings. So I get to meet Gwen Laster, but we'll have to feature her in the future. So hi, Gwen. Hello. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for agreeing to share your music with us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and especially um, with the mission of your blog and your your non for profit and your organization and supporting women who play jazz. I'm um, really grateful to be here. Thank you so well, much again. It became women in jazz South Florida because I was a jazz singer and composer, uh-huh. but through the years. We have attracted 380 members, 230 of those are musicians, 65 Mm -hmm. are men that support our mission, and the other 200 so are people that just support us because we support women musicians. So it's an interesting journey. Mm -hmm. Now, that's, I was very interested in what you said when I first talked to you. You said, I could cut the piece because it was very long. It was 11 minutes and 51 seconds. Movement one, cigarettes. But yes. I wouldn't cut it because as I listened to it, I was seeing like a movie track, you know, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't cut music from a movie track, <laughs> no matter how long it was, you know? Yes. <laughs> so well, that's tell interesting. Us about, mm-hmm. Tell us how you came to music as a child. I came to music as a child growing up in Detroit. Uh, and my mother, who wasn't a musician, but who was a, a amazing um, uh, jazz and soul and R&B lover of, of that music and all kinds of music, she used to love to entertain, and she used to also love to entertain with lots of music playing in the house. So I grew up listening to uh, all these different genres of black music. And my father, on the other hand, loved black music as well, jazz, but he also loved classical. So right from the very beginning, I kind of had this uh, emergence of of all kinds of genres together. So once I saw, uh, or once I recognized in my lower school at one of the concerts or assemblies or something that they would hold in the school, I saw kids playing violin, just a year younger than me, you know, and they were introducing instruments to uh, young uh, students as they do. And I heard that instrument that I'd been listening to quite a bit through my mother's music and through my father's music. So that's how I came to music as a child, by um, having my upbringing uh, with uh, parents who loved music and I listened to it a lot. Um I also was completely immersed with progressive and forward-thinking educators. In in, uh, middle school, I had a jazz trumpet teacher who didn't know much about strings. We were his very first strings class. And so luckily I lived, um, my middle school was right across the football field uh, from my high school, so he would send us over to the high school to actually get orchestra experience. And when we couldn't do that, 
we would be in we we we'd hang out in his classroom and that's how I learned how to play piano by ear. We just like have open jam sessions and it was just really cool to be in middle school and to meet a teacher who was a free spirit like that and to allow us to just create um like that and he would sometimes jam with us too. So uh, between my parents and my middle school teacher and then my high school teacher uh, was an improviser on the viola. And we came to orchestra one day and he had electric violins and David Baker uh, jazz orchestral pieces. So he would require us to stand up and take solos. So I was under the impression that this was all part of the strings curriculum, was to just play all kinds of different genres and to be able to improvise. And so it also taught you music theory. It gave me uh, a, a kind of a peek into music theory, into music theory, and I also had a really uh, kind of advanced music theory teacher in high school because I noticed that when I went to college to study, uh, I hadn't had as extensive ear training as I had in high school as I did when I got to college. So yeah, um music theory by by just um kind of growing up in roots and listening to things and then an actual music theory class that was um quite advanced for for where we were as as high schoolers. Yep. So I did study music theory. Um and just as a aside from that, it was mainly uh classical western music theory. So the idea of learning how to shift that information into uh, the jazz lexicon was another um, uh, experience for me. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that you would make that statement because recently I've met several classical pianists who have never composed a piece of music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean... Um, and um, I don't want to generalize just about classical music, but I will say that I, what the difference that I've noticed in my studies as a classically trained violinist is that when I'm studying that music, I'm learning how to execute. That's my primary goal, how to execute on my instrument. What do I do to my instrument? What about my bowings? What about my articulation? What about my hand position? What note am I reading? What position am I supposed to be in, the fifth position, sixth position, what about my etudes, what about my intonation, and when I'm improvising, I'm noticing that it's like flipping it uh, on the other side, so I'm coming from the inside, and I'm um, tapping into the information that I've learned, and creating my own uh, perspective on it, creating my own ideas, my own melodies, my own rhythms from that information, so I think um it's a, a a huge benefit to anybody to learn about improvising to learn um how to flip the switch how to flip around what you know and to tap into that because i believe improvisers are composers and i believe composers are improvisers i think those two two um skills are work hand in hand okay now have you published any of your music in a book, like the sheet music? Uh, I've written an opening uh, book for violinists on uh, improvising. So this is is actually a uh, method book for beginning improvisers, for young string players. I believe that the younger you are, uh, and um, you have um, kind of these advantages of, of not having any um, uh, pre um, formed ideas in your head about improvising, about uh, any kind of repertoire. So this particular violin book, which there should be more to come, is really addressing um, beginning violin players. And so it, it um it gives you examples and songs and um, uh, concepts of improvising very early on. Okay, but what I meant was your own songs. Are your songs? Oh yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Well, I have to. I'll, I'll say that 
my own songs are also included in that book. So there are some original uh-huh. songs that I actually wrote. But uh, aside from that, recordings that I've um, recorded uh, also have all of my compositions. So the Blue Lotus recording is my fourth recording. It's the first one uh, that I've composed music for string quartet. Uh, the other recordings, Sneak Preview and Game Board, are, um, and I hear you smiling, are also uh, <laughs> recordings of original music. And, yes, I've published them, and they are published through ASCAP. Um, so there are... Um, there are there are uh opportunities there and there is um inspiration there that I think we should all tap into if we can and I think um that's kind of uh provided and and inspired by 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 improvising and by uh being curious about styles outside of western classical. Yes. Now I just, you know, I don't like dropping names, but your who's who of who you have recorded and performed with is impressive. And I'm going to start backwards that you were with, you were at President Obama's inaugural neighborhood ball. Yes. You, you performed with Sun Ra's orchestra. Yes. 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 In fact, that was the last uh, live performance before before COVID last year. That was the last time, actually, an in uh, in person performance for a while. So, and where did you do that? Where? Uh, that well, you know, I'm based out of Beacon, New York, which is just a little bit north of New York City. So that. Uh, that particular uh, performance was at Town Hall in Midtown, New York okay. City. All right, because I know the orchestra from Philadelphia, but that was 30 years ago. <laughs> okay, uh-huh. That was a long time ago. And okay. I think Marshall and Allen still lives in Philly. He, yes, he does, and he's 90-something. Yeah. yeah, and still playing amazingly. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, Gladys Knight, um, Andrea Bocelli, Alicia Keys, Rihanna. So you performed, you recorded with these people on their album? Or... Oh, yes. Some, mm-hmm, some of them I've recorded on. Uh, uh, two or three of Alicia Keys' recordings, uh, in addition to some television work with her, uh, uh, Alicia Keys Unplugged, and um, yet the others, I believe, were, were recordings. Uh, Rihanna, Rihanna was uh, a few tele- uh, two or three television appearances with her on The View and on Good Morning America, and I also had the opportunity to go to Barbados with her and perform the uh, Bar- Barbados uh, um, uh, Music Awards. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been an enriching um, experience to play with all all kinds of artists from uh, creative to commercial to to global music, to just kind of everywhere. It's it's been a good learning experience for me. Okay. Now, you're from Detroit. Are you familiar with Marion Hayden and Galen McKinney? Of course I am. Okay. Uh, Of course. Well, Galen, actually, uh, uh, last uh, visit to Detroit when – doing some tour dates in and around Ann Arbor, Detroit, and Chicago. Gay Lynn joined me on those gigs. So um, she was the one that originally told me about you. Um, yes, I was thinking yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, she did. And originally, uh, I think when we met or close, uh, not, well, I've known Gay Lynn forever. First of all, let me mm-hmm. just preface by saying that. 
I think she gave me the magazine where she was on the cover. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so uh-huh. then I may have tried to check in with you guys then, but I never uh, – I, I still have the magazine upstairs. You know, okay. I mean, I never I yeah. never got rid of it or anything. For, well, first of all, because Gay Lynn is on the front. I'm like, no, I'm not throwing that away, but I got to check in with these people. You know, and then you reached out, so I'm like, oh, okay, yes, of course I know you. And then Marion has just been uh, so uh, well-respected well and um, is an amazing musician as well as teaching artist in Detroit for quite a long time. And so I've known her equally as long as I've known Gay Lynn, but, you know, that's no surprise because I grew up there and started my professional life there. So all of us would quite naturally uh, know each other and and have shared the stage in in many 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 different uh, situations. Mm-hmm. Well, this next issue is featuring women who pluck strings, and we were trying to get Marion, but I think she was just involved in some other things. So we have uh-huh. Karen Briggs, you know Karen Briggs. Of course, yeah, yeah, and uh, uh-huh. then we have several bass players uh, and guitarists, harpists, three harpists. Also. Oh, nice. So, nice. yeah, when you become a member, you get the magazine automatically with the membership. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember reading something about that in, in our first email or something. So, yeah. um, you know, I have to, I would love to keep up on what you're doing, and I'm sorry, it would have been so nice to, Join the company of um, uh, Karen Briggs and the harpists that you have and people who pluck. So I'm hoping that when you come full circle, if there's anything that seats fit for me, I would love to to join up with, with you, if yes, at all possible. Well, that's right. That's why you're here now, because this program will be archived. Um, I think there are about uh, 200 shows archive, but I've done probably close closer to 500 shows with women composers now, but we're getting there. Uh, so wow. listen, I want to play Blue Lotus, okay? And then when we All come right. back, we're going to talk about Entrapped, and then I'm going to play that going out, okay? All right. Thank you. All right, so this is Gwen Laster. Blue Lotus.
playing Blue Lotus. Hello, hello. The Newberg Four, James Carmody, David Williams, Anta Williams, 
and Laguerre Payen. Arrested in 2009 in connection with the entrapment plot to blow up synagogues in Riverdale, New York, and shoot down military planes at an Air National Guard base in Newburgh, New York, we call them the Newburgh Four. James Cromartie, the perfect target, a self-proclaimed Muslim and Newburgh resident, victim to the epidemic of poverty and crime, is approached by FBI informant Shahid Hussein. Hussein's offer, a meticulously constructed scheme under the tenets of radical Islam to procure missiles and bombs that would be used for mass destruction all in the name of Allah. The catch, a few others would need to be recruited in order to complete said mission. The reward, $250,000 cash money and a flashy BMW, a life-changing sum for most. Onto Williams, recruit one. Born and raised in Newburgh too, a victim to the perils of abject poverty and the will to survive. He did time, converted to Islam, and after release, the only question there was, how are you going to make ends meet? He said to love food and was a great football player, not fitting to the profile of an active militant waiting to commit to terror. The desperation to live was his crime. David Williams, recruit two. 28 in 2009, he made visits to his moms in Newburgh from time to time, dealt with the repercussions of a crime, but was ready to step up and move on for his kids, leaving all that behind. A love for his family, loved in return, and yet again a victim of the constant struggle of trying to survive the daily grind of destitution in the city you call home. Laguerre Payen, Recruit 3. An unlikely choice, as it was by those in Newburgh, that the soft-spoken, elusive Laguerre had his own set of personal challenges, just trying to make life work. A Haitian-born fell on hard times early on, a victim of a system attempting to re-enter a system where every card is stacked against you. No job, no home, and the question still remains whether Mr. Payen truly understood what actually was going on. The Newburgh Four. James Cromartie, David Williams, Aunt Williams, Laguerre Payen. Four, James Cromartie, David Williams, Aunt Williams, Laguerre Payen. Born into a system of injustice that existed long before they got here. Four, James Cromartie, David Williams, Aunt Williams, Laguerre Payen. Four, James Cromartie, David Williams, Aunt Williams, Laguerre Payen. The Newburgh Four. 
whose ancestors never got their 40 acres and a mule to hoist them out of economic bondage. New laws for the free man, the black code, the Jim Crow, the gold, to place hope behind steel bars that don't bend, with windows without a view, dimming the light, the fight, the might. James Cromartie, David Williams, Aunt Williams, Laguerre Payenne. Now today, descendants of this dark time are still caged and shackled by laws and poverty designed to restrict freedom, leaving one to feel desperate, so much so when someone throws a bone Regardless of the consequence, most will take it. James Cromartie. David Williams. Anta Williams. Laguerre, Payenne, Newburgh, Four. you for playing the Newburgh Four uh, Entrapped
WIJSF.com Women in Jazz South Florida Inc. is a nonprofit educational organization that promotes women musicians globally through events, concerts, performances, clinics, lectures, workshops, articles, interviews, newsletters, courses, contacts, research, history, archives, websites, films audio and video recordings and recognition. Visit us at WIJSF.com. You're listening to blogtalkradio.com slash music 